Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. It's so strange when and how grief hits you. I worked all weekend in Los Angeles and flew back to New York late Sunday so I could be home when my kids woke up Monday morning. I was in the car from the airport. It was 2 a.m., but suddenly I was on the balcony in my mom's apartment replaying the last seconds of my brother's life. It's like I was trapped, suspended in this obliterating sadness. It swallowed me, the violence of it, the horror of it. I felt like I might pass out, but I just sat there with tears dripping from my eyes, unable to move. I'm not sure how long exactly I did this in the dark, in the backseat of the car, Finally, I forced myself to breathe deeply. He's gone, I thought. All of them are gone. I'm alone. This is all there is. I think I'm going to stop this podcast in a week or two. I think I need to take a break from it for a bit. I've already done an interview for next week's episode, and the following week I want to finish the season with your voices, with your calls, I ended last season with your messages, and I think that's how this season should end as well. We've set up a new phone line for you to call if you'd like to leave a message in our voicemail box. Let me know if there's something that you've learned in your grief that might help others. I can't promise we'll use your message, but I do promise I'll listen to all of the messages, though it may take me some time. Feel free to leave your name and phone number, but you don't have to. The number to call is 917-727-6818. That's 917-727-6818. And I'll say that again at the end of the podcast. We'll be right back with my guest today, a remarkable woman I really want you to hear from. Her name is Shamayim Mamashu Harris. All There Is with Anderson Cooper is supported by Evernorth Health Services. Grief is a human experience. Shouldn't the care we receive feel human too? That's why Evernorth Behavioral Health ensures all members have access to live, specialized support anytime, in person or virtually, with a 100% follow-up commitment to make sure that they get the help that they need. So no matter what stage of grief your employees may be in, there's always a person ready to listen. Stressful times can lead many to bottle up complex feelings, especially at work. 59% of those suffering say nothing. This can have unexpected and serious mental and physical health implications. And with Evernorth's data-driven risk monitoring tools, they can help spot challenges early and step in to guide individuals to care before they undergo any more suffering. Each person's grief is as unique as they are, which is why Evernorth offers a wide range of personalized behavioral solutions to meet the needs of every member that they serve. Learn more at evernorth.com slash grief support. Grief is a human experience, and the care we receive should be too. Evernorth Behavioral Health ensures all members have access to live, specialized support in person or virtually with a 100% follow-up commitment to make sure they get the help they need. There's always a person there, guiding your employees using data-driven risk monitoring tools so bottled-up feelings don't turn into further suffering. With Evernorth's wide range of behavioral solutions, care can be personalized, simple, and more accessible. 
Learn more at evernorth.com slash grief support. Welcome back. My guest today is Shamayim Harris. Everyone calls her Mama Shu. She spent 27 years working as an administrator in schools in Michigan. She's a community activist, a minister, and a mom. In 2007, her two-year-old son, Jacoby, was killed when he was hit by a car while crossing the street with his 10-year-old brother, Shinyelu. In her grief, Mama Shu decided to try and transform what was a rundown block in Highland Park, an enclave of Detroit, into a vibrant community. She named it Avalon Village. In 2021, her other son, Shinyelu, was murdered. He was 23 years old. I sat down with Mama Shu last week. Thank you so much for doing this. How did you get the name Mama Shu? So in my community, we're addressed as Mama or Baba, which means father. And it's basically an African, um, it's like a handle, just like Mr. or Ms. So it's also like a form of respect. The Shu is, S-H-U, is the Egyptian god of the air. So my name is Shamayim Mama Shu Harris. <laughs> Your son, Jacoby, was killed when he was just two years old. What was he like? He was two years, one month, and six days old, to be exact. And he was very, very smart. Um, I believe he was just a prodigy. He was a DJ. He would have the microphone rapping and everything, and he would work that turntable. And That's amazing. Oh, yes, it was. The buttons and everything. He was just a bold little something while he was here. Just a special little being. He was and is. What happened on that day? Chinyelu and Jacoby were crossing the street. They were holding hands and they stepped right off of the curb. And then there was a car that came barreling down the street pretty fast and hit Jacoby. And then he kind of landed over by the streetlight. And then my daughter, Kafi, she was 12. She ran outside and she picked Jacoby up and she was saying, Jacoby, Jacoby, he ended up being brain damaged, didn't get that much oxygen to his brain. He was connected to the tubes and everything. But basically, they just had him holding on, and we knew what the inevitable was going to be. And then what we decided to do was wait until my other daughter, Aziza, got back to Detroit so that she can give him a hug and everything. And so Kafi, she still had her clothes, was still like had blood on him and everything, but she sat there in the chair uh, waited until Aziza got there, and it was like overnight. And She was 12 years old. She was 12 years old, and she sat there, and they were so, so close. They were so close. She just, she stayed there. She stayed right there like a big sister and waited on the other big sister to come so she can basically say goodbye. What was that night like for you? That night was one of the roughest uh, nights. I really didn't think I was going to last overnight. Literally, I thought I just wouldn't be able to make it. You know, I thought that maybe my heart would stop Uh I don't know. I, I, I couldn't function no more. Wouldn't be able to eat. I didn't know what was going to happen. Because, you know, Anderson, sometimes me and my friends, we would hear about things that would happen to other families and their children actually dying. And we would just have stories like, oh, my God, I would not be able to take it if my kid would die. Oh, my God, I would just want to crawl into the grave with them. Just those are the kind of things that we were saying before. And so it actually happened to me. And it was even the pain was worse later on. It didn't get better. Like the first year is just horrible. Just a realization that my kid got killed. Like, I actually lost my two-year-old son. He was actually hit by a car holding my other son's hand. And yeah, it just it just got worse. And what I mean by getting worse, 
It seems like that first year is like almost the first of everything, you know, the first birthday, the first holidays, these first things that you just notice that somebody missing. I heard you say something and I found it really moving. You said, I chose to transform my pain into power, my grief into glory, my loss into love. When I heard that, I was like, wow. Yeah, because one thing, it does end up being a choice. You know, sometimes we can be in in grief so long, but at at some point, we do have to keep it moving. Because those loved ones have kept it moving. They moving. How do you do that? Man, I'm telling you, every single thing that I do right now is grief. This is grief. It just looks beautiful. Hmm. And that's the way that I look at it. So this is grieving. You are still grieving. Oh, yes. Every single moment. Every single moment. Every single moment. There is not a moment that I don't think about every detail of what happened. I've heard you say in the past, Jacoby gives me courage. He just keeps me going. A lot of the things we do around children are because of him. Can you talk about that? After Jacoby's death, what then led you to try to change your community? When I was a little girl, my neighborhood was beautiful. Hmm. I would talk to the elders and go to the store and my school was just right around the corner and everything that you needed and wanted was right there in the neighborhood. And I wanted to recreate that. Highland Park at one time was one of the best neighborhoods in Michigan. It was. It was very beautiful. The city of trees just was so beautiful. And uh, it took a hit with Chrysler moving out and our schools started getting closed down. And I wanted it to rise like the Phoenix and be beautiful again, a place that is really, really highly desired to live in. And I just started on this block. And I remember just envisioning it. I didn't want to leave the hood. A lot of people leave. They want to go to maybe somewhere safer or somewhere that has a better school system. And, you know, just all of these things that they feel that are better. And I'm like, you know what? I'm staying right on this block and I'm just going to compact everything that I want on this block and the people want on this block. You've acquired 45 lots of land. Is that right? Yep. Six structures and the rest is land. It took about eight years to actually clean it up. And so I'm building a village. We have a park called Jacoby Ra Park. It has his picture. His headstone is actually there. I didn't put it in the cemetery. I had them deliver it here. It's a beautiful space. It's real sunshiny, just like him. There have been weddings there. There have been celebrations in that park. Yes, yes. I also do uh, memorials and funerals in the park. Um, The first funeral I had here actually was my bonus son. I had a stepson. His name was Peely. He got killed when he was 34 years old. He was murdered May the 13th, 2015. Oh, my gosh. And I did his funeral here in the park. But the homework house was the very first structure that I wanted to finish. And it took about five years and some change to build, actually. Homework house is a place kids can go after school, do their homework. I know there's a music studio there. Yep. They have all kinds of sessions, art class. We also have a washing machine and dryer. Because working in the school system, I saw a lot of children coming in. Their clothes were dirty. I have underwear and socks and all of those things. Uniform shirts. Everything is all nice and crispy. We have school supplies and they get a meal and everything. So we had the STEM lab. I was able to get a grant for our uh, science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. Uh, we, We built one out of a shipping container. But there's a lot of children, unfortunately, who have lost their siblings, their brothers and their sisters and uncles through mostly murder, mostly crimes like 
like that. And so we try to have support for them. We have support groups here at the homework house. I read that the one street light on the street was repossessed. Is that even allowed? So Anderson, they took all of the streetlights in Highland Park, all of the residential areas. The streetlights got repossessed back in 2011. So they actually came and picked up the poles and actually took them. It was about maybe 1,200, and they took them out of all of the side streets. So right now, Avalon Village and another area we did a fundraiser, we're the only very first relit block since the lights were repossessed. So you're the only one who has light. We have six solar street lights. Five of them have Wi-Fi capabilities, so the kids could pull up, do their homework. People can sit in the park and chill and, and sit in their cars if they need to get on the Internet. How much has all this cost so far? Oh, my goodness. Oh, Lord, you know, I would probably say maybe close to a million and a half. And this is over time. Mm. We raised uh, 250000 in our very first Kickstarter that we did. So that was like the first big chunk of money that I was able to initiate and start the village. So I just try to find funding through grants and different things like that to build what it is that we need. Um, I sold fish sandwiches and stuff too, Anderson. Yep, sure did. <laughs> we had bake sales, fish sandwiches to buy the, uh, <laughs> buy the land. <laughs> You know, some of the land was 300 bucks for the lots and everything. So my goal is to have a nice, beautiful arch that says, welcome to Avalon Village. Like when you pull up in those beautiful gated communities, how it looks with all the beautiful shops and and uh, to have coffee and tea and sit and read a book in the park and the concerts and different things like that. So we're doing all of that. We're doing all of that. Mama Shu's only surviving son, Shinyelu who was 10 years old when that speeding car ripped his little brother Jacoby's hand from his, worked security in Avalon Village. On January 26, 2021, he was shot to death. Every detail of what happened to my son, Chinyelu, everything is just still, everything is so vivid. It's just three years. One twenty-six twenty-one is when he became an ancestor. And uh, What happened to him? Chinyelu, his name is Chinyelu Geb Kahero. So he got murdered. Somebody shot him five times. He was right across the street. He was sitting in his truck and he was doing security. I was inside of the house and I was on Zoom and I'll never forget it. I heard some gunshots and I flung open the uh, the front door and I started screaming Chinyelu's name. I was, was hollering. I said, Chin, Chin, Chin. I must have called him about eight, nine, ten times. And uh, actually, I saw who uh, killed my son, and I saw them run. Chinyelu, uh, he died in our neighbors uh, right across the alley, died in their doorway. He knocked on their door, bammed on their door, and he laid out, and he died right there. I remember straddling Chinyelu, and uh, uh, he was he was bleeding, and he was gone at that point. And I remember just looking at him and I just whispered in him. I just remember saying, Chin, this is it. This is the day. This is the day you are really gone. And I just whispered some things in his ear and I just got up off of him when the ambulance came and everything. And I saw them working on him and everything, but I already knew he was gone, you know, but they had to do that. I already knew what it was. Yeah, that right there is devastating. It still is. That is still just very, very fresh. And you said to him, this is the day? Yeah. 
Yeah, because so what I understand about humans is that I just feel that everybody comes here with their own separate journey and the loved ones and the family. We never know when they decide, hey, the gig is up for me. I've done what I've done here on the planet. This is it. My son, Jacoby, his was up in two years, one month and six days old. And so I understood that with Chin, too. I'm like, wow, 23, like this is the detaching moment from him and us and just being here. Uh, So that's just that's the way that I felt about it. And now Jacoby and Chinyelu, because they come from me and I'm their mother, they still live inside of me. They're still part of me. And so a lot of the things that I manifest, I manifest in their memory because they're still living inside of me. I can't detach from that part, but physically it's happened. So I still feel that I raised my children in the heavens. So a lot of the beautiful things that we've done, the park in my son's name, I built shrines for my sons. We have a basketball court that we call My Three Sons and it has their faces on the basketball court. I had a big, beautiful mural. So those are like my three boys, but uh, Chinyelu's uh, shrine is very beautiful. We got some of the Some of his friends, they helped to build it, and it's a space where they hang out. So we have uh, these beautiful, lovely spaces uh, here for the boys and in their memory. I've heard you say that he became an ancestor. Mm Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering what that means to you. So basically, the ancestors, for me, I believe they're not here physically, but all of their memories, a lot of their ways, a lot of things that they do, we can still honor them, and I still honor them. Whenever we have ceremonies or we have parties or we have something, we want everybody to be there, all the family members. I do something called libations. I have my cup and I pour uh, water and we just call out all of the folks who have uh, become ancestors, the folks who have died in our families. And we just bring up them and we bring up their energies and we want them present. And then when they get here, we say they are here. And then we go ahead and party. Almost Anderson, like when you see guys and they may pour some wine and say, this is for the homies. That's what we do. Hmm. That's for the homies and for the family members that are residing in the spiritual world. Jacoby died in 2007? Yes. On his birthday, you do you still have a big party? I I'd heard that you had a, have a big like reggae concert. Oh, yeah, we do. Yes. <laughs> we party up a storm. OK, Anderson, we have the biggest gig. I'm telling you, it's called um, Reggae in the Hood. <laughs> yes, I, I get so excited about it because it's just such. So anyway, so Jacoby was born on Marcus Garvey's birthday, uh, August the 17th. Mm-hmm. And so we have this big old reggae uh, concert festival and we have about four reggae bands. And guess what? We party on Chin's birthday, too. And also uh, when he became an ancestor. So for my boys, they have two celebrations. They have one for their birth dates and they have one when they become an ancestor. So on uh, September the 23rd, we have our fall equinox bonfire and we also celebrate Jacoby crossing over into the spiritual world. I'm a minister since 2001 and there's a passage in the Bible and it talks about enduring sadness Psalms 35, it says, weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. And for me, the joy for me, Anderson, comes in the morning, but not in the morning like you wake up. It comes in the M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G. 
G, the actual mourning. And that's what I've been able to find with my boys and with my loved ones. I've been able to find that that peace right there so that I can keep going and keep it moving here on earth. And so the things that I create, it's mourning. That's why I said it. it's just this is grief, mm. but it's it's like the beautiful side of grief. And there is a beautiful side of it. I think to be able to find joy in it would be an extraordinary thing. So, yeah, for me to create Jacoby Ra Park brought me healing, brought me joy, brought me happiness. And that's what I show. And I talk to a lot of mothers who have lost their sons. And I show them how they can actually honor their children and create shrines and do beautiful artworks. And what did your son like? And just to show them how to put things together. So I try to find ways to help them. But I do tell them that it's it gets more bearable as you go on. I do say that. But I am very truthful about it and saying that this is just some raw shit you're going to feel for a while, you know, for a while. I think that one of my, uh, one of the greatest things here is just to enjoy uh, things right now, how they are right now, how beautiful they are right now, and not to uh, attach yourself so, so tightly. Not to attach yourself so tightly to... To what? I had to understand and detach from the physicalness of them to learn that piece and know that I can still deal with those boys on a higher level. And that's what I do right now to be able to still be their mother, still understand and, and be able to commune with their spirits. I know that they're gone. I know that they're dead. I know that they're not here. I know that they're ancestors, but I also know that they're still here because they're part of me and I'm still able to work with those boys. And I do. And I feel mm. them. I know when they're around. I know when they have their hand in certain things that happen. I just feel it. And you still have a relationship with them. Yes, I have a full relationship with them. Full relationship. Hmm. Do you talk to them? I talk to them of being a parent because I'm, I feel in my head that I'm still a parent. I'm still a parent, but I'm raising these boys in the heavens. So I'm, I'm still connected. That's how I feel. And I talk to them, hey, I'm doing this. And it's just certain things that happen that go through. And I'm like, oh, OK, that wasn't nothing but chin, you know. That wasn't nothing but Chin that did this, you know. <laughs> oh, that was Jacoby right there. I always know. <laughs> I always know which one, too. Because <laughs> I know their energies. They each have their own distinctive signature. <laughs> oh, my goodness. When, whenever it's time for a rah-rah or for me to, like, stand up, is that's Chinyelu. <laughs> like, Ma, uh-uh, you about to do this and whoop, whoop, whoop. That was his leg. <laughs> That's how he would talk. You go out to do the whoop de doo. Uh -huh. I was like, yes, I am. <laughs> yeah, that was Chinyelu, boy. <laughs> the person who was driving the car that killed Jacoby, what happened to that person? So Jacoby, his killer, he actually was a neighbor. Anderson lived on our same street. He got three to 15 years. He ended up doing three, but uh, he was held accountable. And basically what happened was he um, left the scene. Um, he left the scene knowing he had hit, hit your child. Yes. And that's why he got three to 15 years. The people who killed Chinyelu, from what I understand, one of them is deceased and the other one is in jail right now. He's in for another crime. So I'm trying to work with the authorities. I'm telling them I saw what happened. I saw the people running away. I saw the men. I can identify the young man and everything. I don't know. It's just really, really slow and it's just dragging. And uh, 
that right there for me, Anderson, it adds to the grief. Justice is important for you. Whew. Yes, it is. Because I got justice with Jacoby. But justice for Chinyelo is really important to me because, because it just is. And I think that he should be uh, held accountable. So for me, that part right there is going to be solved and it's going to be taken care of. Is there something you've learned in your grief that would help others who are listening right now in their grief? I would say to strive to stay connected, even though the physical bond has been severed because those souls have something else to do. Still just know that they're part of you. It may not seem like it right then and there, but it is a beautiful thing later on, and it can be a beautiful thing later on. That notion that you can still have a relationship with somebody who's died is something I, I learned in the first season of this podcast from people I was talking to, and it was a revelation to me. And um, it's extraordinary, and it, it has helped me tremendously, that idea. It sort of opened up my mind to thinking about grief in a different way. And sometimes it may even help to even just like, Daddy... Daddy, I'm here right here. This is feeling this kind of way. Oh, Ma, it's all right to say it out loud and stuff. That's what I do. Sometimes I'm like, Chin. <laughs> Sometimes I'm, I'm, I'm so, dis- I do. Like, Chin, when you, you got to say their name. Say it three times. <laughs> Watch. Daddy, what should I, you know, I'm going through this. It's all right to say it like that. I have like conversations just like that. I do. I talk to him just like he's here right now. When I'm picking out gym shoes, for real. <laughs> this is, <laughs> you need his advice? Oh, my goodness. Chin, is these sweet or not? You should. <laughs> <laughs> I do. And I'm going to tell you, I've, been, I've become a gym shoe uh, head since him because I'm telling you, he loved Jordans, all kinds of stuff. Whenever I say, I'm like, yeah, Chin would like these. I'm getting these boys. You should see me. And I just... <laughs> And I get them. So now I'm like, oh, my God, I'm 58 and got this whole gym shoe closet. (laughs) And it's just but it's just so much fun because because that's why I stay in the moment. And when Jacoby says things it's usually over my right shoulder. I'm going to tell you this one quick thing right quick. When we were raising money initially for building the village and we did this Kickstarter, my team was like $50,000. Let's raise $50,000. I'm like, $50,000? That ain't going to get us nowhere. That ain't nothing but a roof. And I remember hearing Jacoby saying big, big, big. That's all I heard over my shoulder. And I'm like, okay. I said, nope, we're going to go $241,900. $241,900. That's the amount. That's our um goal. And we ended up raising $243,691 in 30 days. Wow. And I was just so, so happy. But when he said go big, I was like, yeah, yeah, go big. And now that's the way I think too. You know what? I'm not going to small change nothing, Anderson. I'm going for it. <laughs> And Jacoby have made me go for it, for real. He said, don't play around with this, ma. Big, big. (laughs) (laughs) So whenever I'm thinking I'm small in myself or what it is that I'm doing and everything, I'm like, no, mm -mm, big. And he he was just a little short thing, you know. (laughs) But yes, I remember I just hear him speaking, um, speaking it more, just loud and clear. (laughs) Yep. So that's what keeps me going, too. That's grief to glory. Yes, that's grief to glory. Mama Shu, thank you so much. You're welcome, Anderson. Thank you and peace and love to you and your heart. Mama Shu continues to raise money to expand and improve Avalon Village. 
If you'd like to contribute to her dream or find out more information, you can go to her website, theavalonvillage.org, or follow her on Instagram at theavalonvillage. And a reminder, we've set up a new phone line for you to call if you would like to leave a message in our voice mailbox. Let me know if there's something you've learned in your grief that might help others. I can't promise we'll use your message, but I do promise I'll listen to all of the messages. Feel free to leave your name and phone number, but you don't have to. The number to call is 917-727-6818. That's 917-727-6818. I'll be back next week with a new episode of All There Is. And remember, wherever you are in your grief, you're not alone. All There Is is a production of CNN Audio. The show is produced by Grace Walker and Dan Bloom. Our senior producers are Haley Thomas and Felicia Patinkin. Dan DeZula is our technical director, and Steve Lichtai is the executive producer of CNN Audio. Support from Charlie Moore, Carrie Rubin, Shimri Chitrit, Ronnie Bettis, Alex Manasseri, Robert Mathers, John Dianora, Lainey Steinhardt, Jameis Andres, Nicole Pesaru, and Lisa Namro. Special thanks to Katie Hinman. Grief is a human experience, and the care we receive should be too. Evernorth Behavioral Health ensures all members have access to live, specialized support in person or virtually with a 100% follow-up commitment to make sure they get the help they need. There's always a person there, guiding your employees using data-driven risk monitoring tools so bottled-up feelings don't turn into further suffering. With Evernorth's wide range of behavioral solutions, care can be personalized, simple, and more accessible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash grief support.